This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by Charcoal Book Club. The Charcoal Book Club is the monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. Join the club by visiting charcoalbookclub.com and use the promo code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. It's always interesting for me to speak to a photographer who has enjoyed a lengthy and successful career. They have faced innumerable challenges, including financial downturns like the one we are experiencing now, not just once, but multiple times over. Yet somehow, they have managed to overcome such challenges and continue to produce the work they love. What especially fascinates me is how a photographer has kept his work fresh for himself so that it continues to be a passion rather than a chore. Such moments call for reinvention that's tied not to trends, but something very personal. When I recently saw fashion and glamour photographer Matthew Jordan Smith's recent work, Fluid, I recognized that he had done just that. I couldn't wait to talk to him about it, and how this work reflected both a personal and professional transformation. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. I'm excited to talk to you after I saw your presentation the other day. I had no idea that you were working on that new work. I've been working on it for quite a while, but I've been scared to show it. And, you know, start reading this book, the Seth Godin book. It, it hit me because it talks about, like, if you don't show it, you know, it's like you never did it. Mm. I, I have thousands of images and only, like, you know, a handful of people, literally a handful of people have seen the work. I showed it to the owner of the Awagami factory about two years ago, and that led to the show I had back in September. And, you know, I think it leads to more and more. So whenever I show it, something happens. So I'm like, yeah. okay, it's time to just start showing it and showing it and showing it. I had a lot of really, and it was funny because in September when I had the exhibit and only people who were in Kyoto, maybe Osaka could come to the show, even with that, there was a really strong reaction. And that was good to see that from that limited amount of people who saw the show, who could see the show. Mm-hmm. We were we were still basically in a lockdown position. Kyoto was totally empty. The busiest place for tourists in Japan was yeah. a ghost town. So to have the show at that time was probably a weird time to have it. But it was good because it was the first showing. It showed me that, okay, you got to start showing the work more. Because with this, this limited amount of people seeing the work, it got a strong response and has led to a lot already. So for people who may not have seen the work yet, can you describe what what it is and what the, what the idea behind it? So the birth of fluid came from this desire to show more than just what photography offered me. Photography, if you did a shoot for a client, Let's say you shoot a magazine cover and let's say you're shooting, you know, six, seven hours of the day to create that one image for that magazine cover or, or an ad campaign or, or movie post or whatever. You spend mm-hmm. all day shooting this process. And what I've always loved about photography is not just that decisive moment, but the culmination of all of it. I've loved the experience of photography. And the only people who get to experience that process are those people who are in the room. Mm -hmm. The world sees a glimpse of that moment. And that glimpse, that that instant is what becomes the cover of a magazine or becomes a movie poster or becomes an ad or becomes a family portrait or whatever. But the experience is really the magic. And that's what I've always loved and had a desire to show. If you pull out a a video camera and you videotape the process, that too is very different. I always felt there was something else in between and fluid is the in between. 
it's the pouring. If you could like take all the pictures, mix it up in a pot, and then pour it out, that would be fluid. And from what I saw, it looks like a large panoramic image, but it's a series of images that come off as, as if they were multiple exposures, but they're not. And it looks like it was all Photoshopped, but it no. wasn't. Yes. And there are just all, basically there is a blending of all these moments, these sequence of moments that span the width of, I, I have to say the image, which is just re re remarkable. And like you said, it really captures the experience in a way that a single photograph and certainly a video could, couldn't do it. Yeah, that's that's why I say it's both long exposure and short exposure. It's it's this this playing with time to to get not just moments but get moments that are extended, and that's the beauty of it. The also the beauty of it is that it's organic. Like if you go to Photoshop, you know the way our world is used to doing today. You know mm -hmm. of editing of culling that process you are deciding what's shown and how it's shown organically is how it happens in reality. And that's beautiful because you can't even imagine how things will happen. Like even for me, when I see the work, you know, I love that process of, of having, you know, shooting film and then having it come back and not knowing what you're going to get and then being blown away by the experience. Cause as a, a visual person, as a photographer, you're seeing moments happen. And sometimes things that happen really fast, you don't see. Mm -hmm. But also things that happen very slow, you don't see as well. And that's fluid. It's a mixture so, of both. Would you say that the reason you did it in the way that you did it, rather than just compositing a bunch of images in Photoshop, was because you wanted to have the, have the experience of making it in camera rather than just sitting at a computer for hours. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've never really been a fan of Photoshop and compositing for me. That's, that's not what I enjoy. I have friends who enjoy that stuff. Love it. I have never loved sitting at a computer doing all that stuff. And to be honest, I'm not sure if I know how to do this type of work, you know, to put hundreds and hundreds of layers together. That would not be fun for me. The creation part is fun for me. That's what I love. And then so also it, I think it opens up avenues to show it in different ways. You know, as a person who's worked as a photographer for, for over 30 years, I, I feel I know what a photograph is. I know how to define what that is, that process is. And then also how we show a photograph. It's always within a border. Same as a movie, it's always within a border. It's always on a screen. It's always within that square. And I want this to go beyond the square. Like, I want to take it where you take the borders off. Yeah, it, what I find really interesting about it, because when most people think about working on a project, they'll have a concept, and they'll think about, well, how can I do that with the various tools that I have? You know, I have camera, I have Photoshop. I've seen other people do that, so I'll do something similar. You're doing something that that even the people at the lab didn't know what the hell you were doing. Yeah. So in terms of figuring it out, um, how long did you spend trying to figure out what was that going to work? Because you really had nothing to compare it to. That's very true. And it's funny because at first, and I've, I've worked on this for a long time, and I didn't show it for a long time because I didn't know how to show it. I knew it didn't fit into the ways I wanted to, you know, to, that were out there. I just know what they were and nothing came together until I moved to Japan. That's when it hit me. Like I did a lot in LA. I did a lot in New York. And I remember the lab in LA, they were like, Oh, can we use this in the lab? Can we put this? I'm like, no, no, this is not ready to be seen yet. But they wanted to like, I was like, what are you doing? What, how are you doing this? I'm like, that doesn't matter. Cause I didn't want to share that whole process. And I definitely didn't want to show it in a lab the way they wanted to show, like, oh, our lab did this. I'm like, your lab didn't do it. You processed the film, but you didn't do this. And he asked me several times. He only asked me several times, can I show this? Can I, can I make something? I'm like, no, 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 not yet. 
And I'm glad because, you know, moving here and discovering things that I hadn't seen opened up another yeah. avenue for me. It took me coming here to really, to really have it sit in my head where, oh, stop beating yourself up about showing it in the ways that people show photography. When, that, when a buddy of mine said, oh, this is not photography. I don't know sure what you're doing, but this is not photography. When he said that to me, it really clicked. I'm like, bingo, that's it. Stop trying to show it in the way that the world shows a photograph or shows a movie. Go outside of that. And that's when things start to click. Yeah. How long are these things? <sighs> the longest one I've created so far is 46 feet. Oh, my God. 14 meters. But it could be twice that. Well, so beyond, you know, the fact that you couldn't really figure out how to properly show the work, was there anything else behind your reluctance to share it? You know, maybe insecurity or, or some sort of fear about it? Yes, 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 absolutely. There's also always the fear of saying like, oh, this is an, a new art form. This is, I mean, there is, I was, you know, the fear of being attacked. The fear of somebody saying, oh, this is, you know, Photoshop. And when I had the first exhibit in Kyoto and having uh, that one couple come in and seeing them arguing, you know, between themselves, the woman saying, mm -hmm. oh, this is Photoshop. Then the, the guy saying, no, look, that's film. You, look at, you can look at it and see it's organic. You know, seeing them argue about it. And it's just them. And, you know, they were like the only people in the gallery at the time having this argument. Yeah. My wife overheard it and, and uh, told me what they were saying in Japanese. And at that moment, I was like, wow, I should have, you know, framed a long negative, put it in a glass box to have it as part of the exhibit. Mm -hmm. And I think I'll do that for the next ones. Just bring one long negative, have it in a glass box. So it kills that discussion. Oh, is this really organic or not? Because yeah. that tells the story. Yeah, it's just fascinating that, especially now, that when people take a look at a work, rather than just simply taking in the work for what it's presenting, they try to decipher real? how was it done? Yeah, yes. was is it real? Yes. And <laughs> that's where we live in today. Yeah, uh, I think just because people have their phones and they can do any apps, any apps, and, any filter, you know, but what's... What's beyond that? What's the next thing? What's, what's beyond our phone? What's beyond a computer screen? Because it has to be something. Yeah. Why are we stuck within a frame? I mean, we've been in, within a frame since the beginning of photography. Back in the 1800s, when it, the first picture was taken, you know, we had to figure out how to show that. There was nothing created for it at the time. There was no infrastructure around it. And I think that's kind of where fluid is. There really is no infrastructure that fits right now. But that's right. today. I think tomorrow could be very, very different. I was talking to one of the guys at work who got one of these Mitocon lenses that have an aperture of 0 0.95. Yeah, right? yeah. It has this very shallow depth of field. <laughs> and we were talking about it, and I, and, I felt, and I felt that a lot of these unique optics what people do is that they buy it for the optical quality it gives them for the look that it gives them yes but then it stops there it's it's the, the question isn't oh i've got this unique look it's like and they'll just reproduce what they've seen everyone do it's but the question is what are you going to do with it yeah how are you going to use this to express something that's unique to you and I think that's why a lot of people will get something like this and then eventually we get very tired. Yeah. Of, yes. And it'll just sit in the bag <laughs> because it's it's like, yeah, but that's, you got it, but now you got to do something with it. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. It's interesting because I've been following your career for a long time. And, and I was thinking about how to phrase this because I look at Fluid and I go, that's a huge departure for you, but it isn't. No. It's it's both things at the same time. Yes, the look, the, pre, the final presentation is different from what I'm accustomed, but that's on Matthew. It's more me than anything I've ever done. Exactly. That's, that's what I was about to say. And I think that it's really kind of fascinating that after your long career that you do something 
that is so incredibly personal right now in this part of your time in your career. And I can't help but think, and that's one of the reasons why I asked uh, when you were speaking the other day, uh, was how moving to Japan changed you. Because I think that even though you've been working on this project for a long time, there's something that changed about Matthew to allow him to not only finally find a way to show this work, but to sort of give himself permission to finally release to it. really go with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny because I've 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 fought it for a long time. You know, people very close to me know about me doing it. Those who work with me through the project, they know about it. Mm-hmm. And I mean the first time somebody walked into my uh my place in LA and saw it, it was uh my lawyer and he was like, whose work is that? And I'd always be good. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just so wild seeing his expression. And it was also like a, a sign for me to start showing the work. Mm-hmm. I have all this stuff, you know, I have all these negatives that I shipped from America to Japan, you know, mm-hmm. I started creating them again here. And they're taking on a new life. And whenever I show it, great things happen. I'm like, okay, Matthew, stop holding it back. Show it. I've been doing it for so long. And I, number one, I love the process of creating it. It is, it's hard to describe. It's just, it's, it's rewarding in a way like nothing I've ever done. Really? Creating the work with, with people is so organic and natural and, and freeing. Like at one point I thought about having it turned into a Vegas show. Mm. Um, and we were going that route for a while trying to, I put the whole production team, uh, anytime people see it, they get it. And we thought about trying to make it into a Vegas show, like something like a, a Cirque du Soleil type event. Okay. You know, putting on a show like this is before COVID, of course, putting on a show like that, you're talking about, you know, like the the love show in Vegas was like $160 million to produce. You're on that scale. So you do a show in Vegas, you are competing against every other show. So that didn't come together, but there are other, other avenues that are in that vein that we're still thinking about and pushing for in 2021. You you talk about the experience about how freeing it is and how joyful it is. But I, I, I would I would think that having seen you work, that's always been there. Right? It's always there, but it wasn't able to capture the same way. What's yeah, what's different from when you're doing the beauty stuff and you're creating this experience between you and the model and the other you know, the people on the set and and this? What what are you finding that is being added that doesn't exist with what you've done up you know up to now? You hit do it you know on what the that head. Is? Actually, I do. I think it's always existed. I just wasn't able to show it. Even even the other day, like I uh, had a shoot uh, two days ago. It was a long day, it was a 12-hour day shoot in studio, and everybody was exhausted. But at the end, we were all on this high, nowhere, nobody wanted to leave. You know, we were all outside getting ready to depart, and we were all just standing there. Nobody wanted to leave because, like, okay, what do we do now? You know, we couldn't go have dinner because, you know, Japan's in a state of emergency. You can't yeah. eat out. All the restaurants are closed. But we wanted to go and do something, but we couldn't because everybody had this experience together. So the people in the room have always experienced that. And I've always had those feelings with people, you know, creating something together. But we all watch it and experience it, but there's no visual of what that feels like. You right. get a glimpse of that. Like everybody sees a glimpse of, of the day in one picture. Like behind me, you see all these pictures. That's a glimpse of the day. But the whole day's experience is another level of joy that happens mm. on a certain level when you are creating and the whole crew is in sync. It's magical. But only those few people who are in the room get to feel that. Yeah. Like a crew doing a movie, you know, they, they have the, the movie as the end product. But for that crew, the whole process of creating that, the behind the scenes, the whole thing, that's the joy that they come away with. When you 
see an old friend who you shot maybe 10 years ago and they go through and you know start walking through the day of creating an image they don't talk about ever the picture they talk about <laughs> part of creating it yeah that's the magic i see tire in the streets and we like you know connect over and talk about old pictures we've done we never talk about the actual picture. We talk about that day and what happened in that studio and who was there and what it felt like. And we talk about all that other stuff where there's nothing visual to go with it. And I want to create that visual that shares that experience. Yeah. And I think that's that's the magic of collaboration. It really a is. A good collaboration. Yeah. Let me qualify that. Because you can't do it by yourself. You need that team. Yeah. When I when I saw you in um, Japan, uh, you had been there about a year. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And one of the things we talked about was the whole dynamic in terms of having meetings with potential clients as compared to the United yes. States. And you, and you mentioned that you know you would have meetings with uh, with potential clients in Japan, and like it was so different from what you experienced in the States. Yes. In terms of the outcome, talk to me about about how that started and what it's like now it's funny because um now that's kind of my life e even now where we can't meet in person we have meetings online now and you know everything takes time here in a different way than it does in the states but it's always moving towards something like you might have right now the state of emergency you know uh, it's been a slow step by step process here mm -hmm. and everybody's been like you know frustrated because it's taking so long but that's the japanese way they will debate things look at it every which way so when they finally make that decision they are 100 percent sure but you won't get another meeting unless they are thinking about that next step and that part's exciting because every every meeting does lead to the next step if they're not interested they may not say no but you won't hear from them again Right. You know, because people don't want to say no outright here. However, when they are interested, then that leads to the next meeting and that each meeting has, you know, uh, a goal and then it moves forward. It does move slowly, but it moves forward. And that's kind of cool. It shows that people are interested. And if you show somebody something that they've never seen before, it's very interesting to see how they react when the bells go off, when, you know, the lights turn on and people start seeing potential. Yeah. So how, how, how much do you, did your reputation, your experience, you know, in terms of your name, your sort of name recognition that you had in the States carry over to Japan? Did it, did it help or did it, you, did you find that you kind of had to start over in a way? No, it helped. It definitely helped. You know, I think people see celebrities, it does, give an impression people always you know look you up if they don't know who you are you know i just photographed miss uh miss universe japan on the day of the shoot the whole crew who came they had all done their due diligence to look at everything up and they knew who i shot you know how many people I, you know photographed they they were all like you know big fans of zendaya now she's the hot star right now so they were all yeah. enamored by zendaya and sam jackson and all those different people and during the shoot you know they, some people would say like oh who is how is it to work with this person who's it work with that person so that does help for sure but then you gotta still produce you have to still produce it's it's funny like the my last week of 2020 and the shoots that i did caused a bit of a stir where it got a lot of attention. I photographed, you know, Miss Universe. Uh, I photographed the girl who's also, uh, who was the first runner up, both really beautiful women, both um, half Japanese, half uh, African. Right, yeah. And it's caused a stir and it's caused me to get a lot of interest from people wanting to do other things now in the first part of 2021. And that's kind of cool to see that happening. Hopefully, it will lead to a lot this year. And I, I want to forget both those women as much as possible. They're, they're on the brink. You know, I feel like the same way I felt when I first photographed Tyra or Zendaya. You know, that, oh, there's potential here for something really amazing. Yeah. And I want to do fluid with both of them. Oh, yeah, that's... I, I can't wait until I get to actually see these things in person. So that's, I mean, that's the other thing because 
seeing it on a screen does it no justice. When you mm-hmm. see it in person, it's another thing. To see the tangible and see it, you know, I want to show these ways in ways that people haven't seen, you know, imagery, you know, shown before. And that's exciting. And that never would have come if I had moved here. So I had no idea about how to show it until I got here. I think about what's interesting about doing something that is so different is that you end up discovering something about yourself that you never could have anticipated. Very so true. what was it? So what was Very that true. for you? Oh my God! There's been so many. There's there's more than just one answer to that. Um, for me, I've always been reluctant to 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 show nude work. Hmm. This gave me the avenue to show that work in the way that I've I've visualized it. It's given me the ability to show how I feel in images. It's given me the, the ability to not to create images where I'm not thinking about a commercial client. I never thought about this in a commercial way, you know, the way I, I do with uh, my, my other work. It's organically me. And what I love, love, love about this work also, it cannot be directed by anybody besides me. Like, you know, maybe you'll do a photo shoot for a client and the client's dictating like, oh, I like to see it this way. Can you do that? Thing? <laughs> that doesn't exist in this. Mm-hmm. It does not exist. The other thing I love about it is that it cannot be duplicated over again. You know, once you create an image, even I can't go back and redo that same image again. Each one is original and organic, and that's beautiful. Yeah. And it's on film. And it's on film. It's on film. What, what film are you using for this? What's the, what's the format that you're... Well, it used to be 220. So medium okay. format, all medium format. Medium format, okay. It used to be 220 when I could find 220. Now it's all 120. Oh, right. But my dream would be to be able to, of course, you know, this is another dream of mine. I'd love to create a new format. Mm, man, you're getting really ambitious. Absolutely. I see so much potential for this in different ways. I know you, you talk about analog. You're like, oh, that's the past. Not necessarily. Yeah. You know, I guess... I guess see beyond where we are you know before before we saw digital all we thought about was was film and then you know now we're that we're in digital people only think about digital but what's next so how how has this sort of changed or influenced the way you look at the work that you're known for that work will always be there has it it changed your approach or has it changed you know, some aspect of how you, you see it? Not really. It's funny. I, I think about this a lot. I went to see this show years ago. This is maybe 25, 30 years ago. I saw this show in New York. At the time, it was the first time they'd ever shown the, the, the collective life work of Picasso and Matisse side by side. So we had to see their work, both of them side by side, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, on up to the end of their life. And what blew me away was seeing Picasso's cutouts at the end of his life that he did when he's bedridden. Mm. It still had his fingerprint. It still was the artist's hand in the work, but it was an evolution. But we could still see Picasso in all the work. And that's what I see about my my past work and this work. It's going to always have the artist's hand in it. As a matter of fact, this is more the artist's hand than anything I've ever done because it's organic, organically me without any other direction from, from others or being manipulated or retouched or any of that stuff. Yeah, because that's, that's part of, especially your commercial work, is that yes. you know, you're, you're handing, you do shoot it, you light it, you do all that, but ultimately it's the client who ends up doing all the sort of retouching and yes. stuff like that. Unlike the editorial work where you have a you know more of a hand on it, and that always is, you know, it's kind of like handing over your babies. Yes, you know, you, exactly. you never know what exactly. they're going to do with it. <laughs> Very true. Very true. And with this, that can't be done. And I love that about it—that it is my stamp, organically can't be changed or manipulated in any other way. You know, without you know destroying the work. Yeah. 
Uh, with you working in Japan, are, are you working primarily with like Japanese crews? Um, it's and funny. I, and my, how is that different? Crews are uh, my, my my crew is like the UN, uh, definitely he- heavily Japanese for sure, yeah. but also French, and then uh, people who are mixed. You know, Japanese and American, Japanese, and it's a very interesting crew. When I think when I think about that, which I haven't thought about that part, if you were to see a picture of our team, we're the United Nations. Yeah. And I love that too. You know, from all these different perspectives. Uh even the models, you know, that I'm working with. Right now in Japan, the, the only people who are here are people who are residents or or or, or you know, or nationals. There are no tourists in Japan right now. So all of us are, you know, we had this connection of loving Japan, wherever we're from. We have this connection of loving Japan. One one person that is my crew, uh, he's been here for 21 years. He's French, very, very French, as a matter of fact. Uh, he's been here <laughs> 21 years and, and loves it. You know, it's funny to, to, to see all that. Another friend of mine is uh, born in California, but was raised between J- California and Japan. He's half, half Japanese, half American. He hasn't been back to the States in like 15 years, but, you know, just to have our, us all together and hear our conversations are pretty amazing. Yeah. But also, I'll say this as well. This happened in Japan. I never showed the work to other photographers. I never let a photographer see me create the work. And that changed in Japan. And I let people watch me shoot and create the work. And that's when the people who around me said, this is not photography. What you're doing is not photography. And that took it to another level. So when I opened up and got away from my fear of, you know, showing what I was doing, how I was doing it, it opened up this other door. And that has been phenomenal. I felt safe doing that here. I'm not sure if I felt safe doing that. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Did you feel like people were going to be critical almost immediately, even though they weren't seeing the result? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, because you can't see, you're shooting something on film, nobody can see what you're doing. Nobody has any idea, like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and, you know, you, we're all like, I guess, you know, fearful and somewhat of being criticized about something. Like, what are you doing? It's, yeah. it's silly. Until you see the work. And then you're like, yeah. what are you doing? It's a different, what are you doing? And I think when anytime someone makes a choice that is different from what everyone is sort of accustomed to you being or doing, there's going to be some anxiety there. And I think that stops a lot of us. It does. You know, or delays a lot of us. It delays us for sure. It delayed me. Yeah. But when it happens, it's, I think when it happens is because it has to happen. You know, that the work all of a sudden is calling you and it's like, there's no, there's no way that you can say no. Otherwise you're going to be living with this regret. And yeah. I've had those moments where it's just like, I just have to do this. I, I, I I'm out of excuses. Yes. And yes. as terrified yeah. as I may be at that, at that moment, I've learned that if I, if I feel resistance to doing something, that's the very damn thing I should be doing. That's very true. That's very true. You grow that way. That's everything grows that way by being trimmed. You know, that's part of growth. You know, you mm-hmm. have to like, you know, cut and prune and that's how, you know, things grow. I did go through a period where I didn't do anything for like three years. I went through a divorce and I, that, that divorce um, stifled me for a while. Oh yeah. I could imagine. But then I came right back to it. And it came back better and stronger than ever before. One of my favorite conversations to have with a personal friend who is a photographer is not about equipment, but the work of another photographer. This often revolves around a book of said photographer's work. Sometimes they are recent releases, but sometimes they are books that we have both had in our collections for years. Knowing that the other owns a copy of that same title lets each of us know that we are more than just the casual fan. We enjoy it, but we are also inspired and we've been changed by it. That's why I'm such a big proponent of photo books. They are an invaluable resource for me. 
I return to them on a regular basis, and none of those titles becomes dated or obsolete. There's always something to be learned from them. It's one of the reasons we agreed to have Charcoal Book Club as a sponsor. They get the value of photo books and provide a great way for photographers like you to begin or accentuate their collections. It provides you easy access to some of the best bodies of work available today. They curate and offer books from great contemporary photographers. And as part of your membership, each month, you'll receive a copy of a new book and a collectible print to add to your collection. They offer free shipping to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. It's subsidized elsewhere. And if you're not feeling that month's selection, that's okay. You can swap it out for a different one of similar value. Visit their website to see what they have offered in the past and what you have to look forward to. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com today and remember to use the code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout to receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. And thanks to the many of you who have continued to support The Candid Frame financially. Your contributions have allowed us to continue to produce the show on a weekly basis and meet all the costs of production. If you have enjoyed previous seasons but haven't contributed yet, it's not too late. And it's easy to do by becoming a Patreon supporter today. You can do that by contributing $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Just $5 a month makes a big difference. Thank you, as always, for your support. When you're going through something painful like that, like a, a, a divorce, that can really suck a lot of energy Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know people can use the work as a distraction, but when you're going through that sort of soul-sucking pain, it it can make it difficult to get into the place where creativity is really ripe. So what helped you to get through that so that you weren't just using the work as just an escape, but as a way of kind of healing yourself? The only thing that really helps is time, you know, really time, um, prayer, um, being around all things that you love, you know, Hmm. I'm married again now and that's great. I'm living in the place I've always loved. That's great. I'm seeing life differently because, and this is kind of funny about being here in Japan as well. You know, when I lived in the States I live on the East Coast and West Coast. And the East Coast, you know, I could see the seasons. You live through the seasons. And the West, when I lived in LA, it's like one season for the most part. You don't really see anything change. Yeah. But moving here for the first time in my life, I noticed the seasons change like week by week. It's funny seeing that here. Like you get four, you get five seasons here. It's four, you get four distinctive seasons, but you get a fifth season, the rainy season. And it all comes like clockwork. I've never noticed the year change like, no, almost week by week. And I can feel it change here. You feel the winter go through the stages of winter. It's not Mm -hmm. just like it's winter, it's just summer. It's stages of winter, stages of spring, stages of fall. And I love seeing it happen week by week. Everybody knows about the the cherry blossom season in Japan, which is called Sakura season here. But Sakura season is the beginning of spring, beginning of all these amazing flowers. Like the, the, the Sakura is the first one that comes, but then it begins this whole onslaught of these other flowers step by step by step. And it's, la- it's made me see things differently. That's influenced my work. It's made me see color differently. That's influenced my work. I've created work for fluid based on those colors that I see now, which I never would have thought about before. The color, the feeling, you know, because color has a a mood to it. Light has a mood to it. You know, we learn in in photography how to create a a perfect exposure or, or an exact exposure. But there's these other variations of that as well. You know, if it's underexposed, we use those words underexposed, overexposed. Right. But the world doesn't use that. The world uses, you know, oh, it's moody or, it, or it's, you know, it's, you know, it's uplifting. And that's based on exposure. 
And I love having the, the, the ability to play with, with uh, the feeling of an image in fluid. Because it's really more the feeling that's that the connection. You know, people feel the work versus just seeing the work. Mm. You know, you've mentioned that, that living there has slowed you down. Yes. In, in a variety of ways. And having visited there, it's really interesting that both you and I have that experience. Even though I went there and was only there about 10 days and you've been living there for two years, that I still was sort of amazed that despite how densely populated and how busy that city is, that both of us come away with a sense of slowing down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk, talk to me about that. This is a place where people are precise. And that precision takes time. You know, living in New York especially, I was like, you know, bam, 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 bam all the time. Living in America, period, you know, always doing so much. And here, people work on a craft. And the working on the craft takes time. And you you don't rush it. I was, even yesterday, I think about this now, I still fight this a little bit. Even yesterday, I'm like, you know, walking around. And people do walk slower here. Mm-hmm. And I find myself sometimes being annoyed of people like, you know, <laughs> slow. but then I've got to stop myself. And even yesterday I had to stop myself. I'm like, why am I rushing? Why am I in a rush to get someplace? You know, let me just stop and enjoy the whole process and take it in. And when yeah. you start doing that, you start seeing things differently. You start experiencing things differently because you're out of the space of being in a rush to do everything. When I was in college, I spent the summer in New York. Spent three months over there, and I got back. I was walking down the street of Berkeley with my friend, and Chris Lee looked at me and he said, "Why are you walking so fast?" <laughs> and I had just picked up that New York pace, and I've yeah, always thought about fast. this. It's like you know, you always are in a rush, even if you got nowhere to go. Yeah. Yes. You know, the the only other place I've gotten that is when I go to the Dominican Republic, when I go to my dad's hometown, which is really a quiet town. And that's slow. I mean, that's a combo. That's just, uh, <laughs> you know, especially especially on a hot summer day, all you're doing is you're moving with the shade around the house. You go from the back of the porch, and then once the sun shifts, you go to the front porch. I get that. I get that. <laughs> you're moving with this shade. I love that. I'm telling you, yeah, because it's just too hot to go out there. So you're just kind of sit in the chair and you just hang and you just hang out and talk. Yeah. Hours and hours of talking. There's no there's no watching hours of Netflix. Different yeah. people are coming in and out and you know are coming to and from the house and People are having these long conversations, and it's like it's really lovely to to have that. I mean, I wasn't really um, in Japan to be able to get a real sense of what the dynamic is amongst people. Like, you know, they're definitely not Dominicans, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but for you, you know, you're, you're an American. You're a Black American. You're a big Black American. <laughs> but in terms of Yes, you have to have like certain, you know, understanding of social differences and cultural differences for for your work. But talk to me about what it's like for you sort of personally sort of fitting in because, you you know, it, it feels kind of because I know when I went to France for the first time and I couldn't speak the language there. That was the first country I'd ever been to where I didn't speak the language. Oh. I felt so vulnerable. And I had never felt that before when I traveled to other places because I usually went to English or Spanish-speaking countries. So I speak both. And I couldn't imagine going to a country to live and to work and barely speaking the language, if at all, how much more vulnerable I would have felt. Yes, you so, are. So tell me about how, how that felt for you and how you mm, contended I'm, with it. I'm there every day. You know, I'm... I'm Learning the language little by little, slowly by, you know, little by little, it's hard. And you are vulnerable, but it's okay here. I'd feel weird, I think, anywhere else in the world with that. But here it's okay because of the lifestyle, of of the people. People are, number one, they're patient with you. Mm-hmm. In Tokyo, anyway, people are patient with you. They'll help you. And it's okay. You know, I'll mispronounce a word and, you know, they may laugh, 
but then they'll correct me and you know and and then i'm like oh now i get it now i get it you know uh the process of introducing yourself here is very different how so there there are words you say that when you only when you first meet somebody you only say that when you first meet somebody for the first time um mm. and you go through this process of introducing yourself i mean we do the same thing in, the, in america but here age is a big part of the culture people say their age if something's on tv about somebody they'll show their age it's a very age conscious society which is funny because i have friends in america who I, I don't know what age they are you know <laughs> yeah people have known for decades i don't know how old they are in japan people want to know that because it gives them like a sense of like oh oh this person's been around this long they know this they know that they've been through this they've been through that they can trust you more they know you're experienced more supposedly it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. In terms of like living here and feeling vulnerable, it is part of my life now. And I'm, I'm fine with being vulnerable where before I probably wouldn't be. Yeah. Especially being black in, yeah, in the U.S. I feel safer right. here than any other place I've ever been in in my life. How crazy is that? Including. Oh, no, that's not crazy. Yeah. That's not crazy. <laughs> yeah. I completely get that. You know, I know a lot of people will do because here you got to, you're always thinking about it. I mean, if you're born here, or even if you're not born here, you know, you've got to, you're always conscious of the fact that about how people see you based on your skin color. And then whether it's a business meeting or walking through a particular neighborhood, you know, you're processing all that stuff. That's a lot of, that's a lot, even if nothing happens, it's exhausting having to think about it. Yes. That was kind of weird. I guess hit me yesterday. I was talking to a friend, just moved into a new house, and he was getting his security set up in the house, you know, with ADT, all that stuff. Yeah. And that hit me like, does that even exist in Japan? Is there a business of installing security systems in homes here? I'm not sure if there is or not. I've got to ask friends about that and see, but like you buy a home in America. Yes, you want security cameras around. Make sure not going to break into your home, to the space. I'm not sure if that is even on the radar here. Do you need that here? Oh, what blew me away when I was there was like looking for a trash can. Yes. It was just like, wait, where do I, where do I throw this away? And it's like, no, you take it home. You take it home. You take it that home. That just blew my mind. It was just like, man. And the fact that everyone buys into that. Yes. That everyone is as part of the social contract understands that. It stays that. clean. Yeah. It stays clean. Cleanest place I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, Cleanest place I've ever seen in my life. Your wife was born there or was she born, She's born here? She's born here. Born here, raised here, the whole nine. She went to college in the States. That's it. Besides that, she's been in Japan. So so you you got real insight into what you do and what you don't do. Oh, and yes. <laughs> what, what's been your biggest faux pas that she's had to say, uh, Matthew, you don't do that. <laughs> oh, there's been a lot of those, actually. <laughs> there's been a lot of those. Um, you live here, people follow the rules. It's, it's that kind of culture. People follow the rules. Mm. Like, uh, Right now, there's a state of emergency in Japan. You started uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. And legally, they can't have a, a lockdown here. So they politely ask people to do things. That's all they can do. Right. People do it. They say, oh, we'd like for you to close the restaurants by 8 o'clock. They don't say they have to. But 8 o'clock, they're all closed. Yeah. People follow the rules. So, you know, as, as an American, that following the rules mentality to that extent at first seems very weird because even things that don't make sense, like let's say, you know, you're at a street and the light turns red and you don't have the right to, to walk, but there's no cars anywhere. People here, they stay in the corner and wait for the light to change. We're in New York. There's no cars coming. <laughs> you just cross the street. And even if cars are coming. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you follow the rules. Even things that are outdated. There's a rule here. Um, there were things that are, are rules that don't apply because of COVID. Yeah. 
my wife's grandmother passed away about a month ago. I'm sorry. And they were having a, a service. Only three people were allowed to be at the actual service. The rest of us had to watch online. My wife and her mother and her aunt were actually the only ones in the service. And there was a part where you cannot um, have, it was videotaped for most of us to watch live. So we were all like watching in from the other family members. But there's a part where there's a rule where you can't have pictures taken because you might take a picture of other families and some, and they don't want that out there. But now there's nobody there. There's nobody but three people in that one family. But the rule is you cannot have any pictures. And my wife asked, oh, but why? And then the guy said, because it's the rule. Uh, Because we don't want you to have pictures of other people in the the background who may not be part of your family. And she looked around and said, well, there's nobody here but us because of COVID. And then my my wife's mother and aunt said, no, no, don't you ever, you know, question those the rules. Yeah. Wow. Even though they're outdated because of the time, you know, mm-hmm. people follow those rules. So it's it's that and everything. I've seen that even in meetings, there are things that may be old rules that maybe they were from, you know, the 80s or the 90s that don't apply now. You know, people have a hard time switching here, like with COVID happening and people doing online meetings. That was a big thing here. You know, people weren't ready for it. It wasn't as is uh, easy transition like it was in the states in that way, but now it's becoming that way. So once we once COVID is behind us, are you at this point, especially now since you've been doing this new work and you, you know you've you've had some time to sort of get more established in Japan? Do you think you'll still be doing a lot of traveling back and forth between there and the states? That's a good question. That's a very good question. I don't think I'd come back every month like I was doing before. Like, you know, I was coming back last year. I came, well, now I can't say last year, 2019, I came 11 times. I don't think it will be the same thing. I think our our new normal will be a very different normal. I'd be fine to not travel as much and do a lot more here. Mm. I'd be really happy with that. I mean, this this past year, it will be a year next month that I haven't been on a plane outside the country. Uh, haven't been to America since February 2020. It will be a year. It's been nice being here. It's been nice being home. It's been nice, you know, being able to go to the gym on a schedule. You know, not that I can do it now. If we have a state of emergency, I can't go to the gym anymore. But it feels good to be able to have like a, a regular, like, a, you know, schedule and do things and, and not have the interruption of travel. Yeah. You've been teaching those, those classes online, those sort of, yes. And I've caught glimpses of what you've been doing and it seems like you're having a good amount of fun. I'm having that. an amazing time. Amazing time. It's, it's funny because one thing that happened with 2020 that I was not expecting is that the classes grew. I thought it'd be the other way around. Mm. But they grew, and in my in my online course, it's two parts. It's a it's an online course, and then the the second part is a weekly training session. And this year, I really fell in love with the weekly training sessions because it was. I mean, people start coming religiously to them. So all of twenty twenty, every single week, we had a session. And it was almost like going to church. I mean, people were coming (laughs) religiously and it was not only education, it was therapeutic. And this one guy told me in Austria, he's like, you know, you are my window to the world. And it's like, you know, it's the only positive thing that happens all week. This is like, you know, in the height of the pandemic. He says, this is how I can see other people. And we get together and, you know, I train with one theme for each session. But it's also, we do it on Zoom so everybody can see each other. So people feel connected that way. And it was fantastic. It was like, it is this, it was a godsend for me and for everybody else in it. Like we've become this one big international family, Israel, 
of course, Japan, all over America, the UK, Austria, France, South of France, Brazil, from all over the world, we come together and talk photography. And it's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. And then, you know, and the, the other thing, last year anyway, was throughout all the stuff that happened every single week of 2020. So through all that stuff happening in the yeah. world, you know, all of it, it was us coming together for the sessions every single week. When you did, I look back on that, I'm like, wow, we did that all year long, week by week. Yeah. That's the way I felt about this, the show. Yeah. He's like, I got all this other stuff. And then when I get that hour to sit down with somebody and just chat, because I, I was, oh my God. I mean, I've always enjoyed doing it, but it was like, I don't, I haven't seen my friends. I haven't yeah. seen a lot of my friends in, 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 same, a long time. Same. And so it's just like, I got a chance to chat and, and talk for an hour. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. You know, it's just like been a gift. And I, you know, I get to share the conversation with people, but for me, it's just like, I couldn't, I couldn't stop doing this. I'd, I'd go even crazier than I already exactly. am. <laughs> I get it, man. I start off the idea of each of the sessions being one hour, but then people ask questions. We had one session like, like two months ago, it was three hours long. Oh, but wow. The crazy thing about it. I lost track of time and everybody else lost track of time. I didn't know it was three hours. We were all so entrenched in conversation. We lost. And for me, it was like two in the clock in the morning. I'd lost track of time. It goes back to what we were talking about with fluid. Yes. About the experience. Yes. Yeah. The experience. You know, you've been able to create that in, in the class, which is not an easy thing to do, you know, we're, we're but in roots west. I don't yeah. know. It's that one. I mean, now the sessions are like, you know, they're always now between an hour and a half and two hours. Uh, so they've grown because there's always so many questions. Yeah. But sometimes we just get going and it's just like, and, and people are from all over the world. So some people up in the middle of the night. Yeah. It's, and it's crazy. Like that one session was like profound. People like saying, oh, can you? Can you have this available for us to see all the time? That one session, because it was really powerful. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I love that. Now, my last question, which I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone um, you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Oh, my God. There's so many. Um, there's this girl in Israel. She's actually one of my students. Her name is Catriella. She just had her first exhibit, well, began in September, and it closes, actually, closes today. The show closes today. I've watched her grow. I think she'd be great. She's, she's, she's a photographer who is just getting published for the first time. Just had her first exhibit ever. Wow, that's exciting. It was a powerful show. And I watched her, you know, a year ago this time, she was like, Oh, I've never had a exhibit before. I'm like, this, you should have one. I, this work you're doing right now, that's your exhibit. You need to have, you need to create more of this work. So I coached her through creating more of the work mm -hmm. and she made it and it was uh, incredible. The show went up in Israel. It was an outdoor show sponsored by this huge organization. It got a lot of attention up for a long time. Yeah. But somewhere in like, uh, I guess, maybe the end of November, there was a little bit of vandalism on, on some of the work. Oh. But the Israel said, no, no, we're not going to deal with that. They paid to redo the images and put them back up again. Wow. I got to check this out. Yeah. Good. So, yeah, Catriel, I see her information. Another, another great photographer. She's never spoken before. So I wonder how she'd feel about being on a podcast. And, you know, but I think it'd be great for her. Yeah, um, just, in, you know, if anything, people can check out her work. That's that's one of the big reasons I asked the question is so that people who are listening to that show can discover somebody new. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Um, I mean, there's there's quite a few people I could recommend. There's another girl in America who worked on a book. I watched her do this book. And she's been working on this book about two and a half years. 
Her name is Orlette Pearson. She started working on a book on black female doctors. This is before COVID. Mm-hmm. Orlette's book is powerful, even more so now. She's at now the very end of the book. Okay. About to go and publish the book, but it's powerful. And she was doing it, and then COVID happens. I'm like, oh my God, your book is more relevant now than ever before. Oh man, I got to check this out. It's a Too few, good to beautiful, I mean, it's both, both photographers are phenomenal photographers doing incredible, incredible work. Oh, yeah, well, so are yeah. you, brother. It's, thank it's you, always man. good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Matthew for joining us. Find out more about Matthew and his work and his online workshops by visiting MatthewJordanSmith.com. And if you're a devoted listener and subscribe to the show, write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews have allowed us to grow. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and our mailing list. On our YouTube channel, we offer critiques on images submitted by TCF listeners like you, while the mailing list keeps you updated with all TCF events, including workshops and more. Sign up today. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or make a one-time or recurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Scott Tice for his recent contribution. We also provide a series of ebooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge and another way for you to support the show. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you listen to podcasts, download the Candor Frame app, which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frames audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.